So hey guys, we're back with a, another interview podcast, and, and I know you're going to love this one. Um, we have Bob Bose Bell back on the phone, and today we're going to be talking about his art. And if you are a subscriber to True West Magazine, or if you love Western history and authors and researchers and books, you've seen his his artwork everywhere, and I... I'm fascinated by the process. I'm a process person, and so he's got um, uh, the way he draws and the in the details that he brings out in his artwork is is amazing. And I had to ask him about it, and he's agreed to come back and talk to all of us and share about how he became an artist and and what he does to put a picture together. Of course, I want to thank the folks at True West Magazine at truewestmagazine.com. I urge you to become a subscriber because it really is a like an extension of Bob. You'll see all of his artwork in there, plus some of the best articles. In fact, the best articles in Western history are on True West Magazine, so you can check them out at truewestmagazine.com. Uh, thank the folks over at Wild West History Association. You can find out about them at wildwesthistory.org. I urge you to become a member. They've got a bunch of great stuff going on, including this year in Rapid City uh, is going to be our Wild West, our history roundup. And uh, hopefully if gas prices don't get too crazy, we'll we'll see everybody up at Rapid City. Um, and we're going to be spending four days in Deadwood and Rapid City and surrounding areas. I also want to thank my friend, actual mutual friend, uh, Mark Boardman over at the Tombstone Epitaph. Uh, that is Arizona's longest running newspaper. It's really a great way to get a piece of history delivered to your, your home on a monthly basis and you get fantastic articles. And of course, in the middle, the very middle section of the paper is going to be Bob's artwork and stories that he puts together for the paper, which is just fantastic. I urge you to uh, to become a subscriber, and that you can find that at tombstoneepitaph.com. That's tombstoneepitaph.com. I think we covered the dog on that one, is what you said last time. Covered the dog. <laughs> you, you plugged all the people that uh, are deserving, yes. Well, I I've asked you before about your artwork because the details that you put into it and the way the art is put together. And you mentioned the last time we spoke about how you'll draw, you'll whip out, correct me if I'm wrong, like six to 10 pictures a day. And, and you'll do that on a daily basis, not for practice, but for, you know, to really, maybe make use of what's going on at the day, maybe what's in your head. You you mentioned in an article one time that every day you do what's called gesture drawing, and you do that for about 15 minutes, and you mentioned to get the cobwebs out. Is that true? Yes. I uh, learned uh, uh, early that uh, when I went to college at the U of A, uh, they tried to break us of our uh, what was then called left brain thinking, uh, because we have this tendency when we first learn to draw, he said, Oh, you know, your, your parents say, Oh, that, that really looks like Aunt Edna. And so then you get real serious about it and you start gripping the pencil or the pen harder. And, and, and essentially what happens is you kill the drawing because your left brain is so, uh, uh strangulating. <laughs> and so they would make us, uh, when I was at the U of A, 
They would make us draw with our opposite hand. They would make us draw uh, looking at something upside down. They would make us draw with our toes, take our shoes off. And the, um, the idea was to loosen us up. And so I never forgot that. And then uh, probably 15 years ago, a fellow cartoonist said that uh, offhandedly, that uh, every artist has 10,000 bad drawings of them. And I, and I, I thought about that and I said, you know, that's probably true. And then in kind of a, uh, overproducing kind of way, which I could do, I thought, I'm going to prove that. I, I, I'm going to, so I decided, I arbitrarily just decided I would do six bad drawings a day. And by bad, I mean, I, I wouldn't care about the outcome, just draw. And so gesture drawings uh, dovetail into that because gesture drawings uh, is what we would also do when I was in college was uh, you would just draw uh, the, the movement. You're looking at a model. You, you just draw the, the floor of their uh, shoulder and, and don't worry about it being right. In fact, that's the enemy of good art is worrying about it being right. And yet you have to get it right. And so it's a slippery slope. But anyway, I probably over explained that. But that's my mantra. But if you do six, and I'm going to ask you about, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. How much of your artwork goes in the trash? Does it, or do you, and the reason <laughs> well, I say I that I, is. I wish, I wish this was video because I could show you. I've been looking right now at an art desk that's cluttered with, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, pictures in progress. And what will happen is uh, I'll, I'll hit a wall on one and I'll go, God, I don't know if that's going anywhere. And I'll just put it aside and start another one. And, um, and then often I'll come back and I'll find a picture that I had given up on two months ago, you know, uh, sometimes longer. And I'll say, you know, I see a way out of that now. And so I pick it up and I go at it again. And so uh, I would say, I would say half of all the drawings never make it to final. Uh, and I can prove it to you by, <laughs> by my garbage cans at the edge of the studio. But the, the idea, or at least my concept of trying to uh, chase art that works is uh, keep going. You'll get there. Don't worry about it. Uh, just keep doing it. And, and I'm often surprised that the ones that I had the least faith in turned out to be some of the best things I've ever done. Well, there was a side photo, and if you if you guys want to know, and I'm going to mention this multiple times, if you want to see Bob's art and purchase Bob's art, um, that it is for sale, uh, make sure that you go to bobbosebellart.com. So just like it sounds, bobbosebellart.com. And there is more about Bob than I ever imagined. In fact, I've been on the site several times because it is so good. And there is art for sale, and I urge you to get his art, make it part of your Western history collection, make it part of your living room and your house and your family, and you can do so at bobbosebellart.com. The reason I mention that is there was a side photo taken, and it's in your website, and it's you and shorts working over the table, and I would assume... It's where you live now in Cave Creek, and it's your wife took the photo, and it really shows you at work, and I, it, you probably at the time didn't know the photo was taken. Is that predominantly how you draw your art is, you know, in your, um, your shop, your workshop, your office? 
Uh, yes, it, uh, that is an embarrassingly good shot because it shows me hunched over. Uh, I should probably do more yoga. Every time I see that photo, I go, man, dude, get your neck up a little bit. You're just <laughs> hunched over, and uh, but that is how I work. And uh, it's very close to work. But then I also force myself to stand up and work from afar and paint standing up. Mm. Like I say, a lot of these lessons I learned early, uh, and most of them are just to break you out of uh, the regimen that we get into, and which kills art. You know, that's it's the, the biggest killer of art is, is trying too hard. And so, uh, but as you can tell, I, I take it very seriously. I do a lot of art. But the, the trick is, is to try to make it fluid, not try to make it loose. And uh, and yet, we, at the end of the day, you want to look down and say, well, damn, that's Wild Bill Hickok. But you say that like, you know, your picture where you're stooped over. I, I look at that and, and I'm kissing up now as saying that's a genius at work. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. It's a guy who works really hard to try to keep his... Uh, uh, on the bottom rung of the ladder of sanity, let's put that one. Well, when you when you were younger, you mentioned in an article when you were younger that you loved to draw, that you enjoyed the process and putting things together. Was this happening in Kingman, growing up in Kingman, that you started, or did you go to former school? How did how did you go from this young kid in Arizona? to this established artist to where you are today? Well, that's a great question. I uh, uh, started drawing very early, and there's a family story that I was, uh, uh, I would ask my father to draw trains, and he said I was like two or three years old. And he would draw a train, and then I would go draw a train, and, uh, and I quickly outstripped him, and he said, draw your own damn train. <laughs> so I, I wanted to please him. He was uh, a stoic Norwegian father, and if anybody's ever been around Norwegians, you know that. Uh, and so I wanted to please him, and I, that probably is what gave me the oxygen, you know, the, the gasoline to, to rev up the tank to go. But then you fast forward, and we were, uh, uh, this was in Iowa, and then we moved to Kingman, and then my grandmother told me how we related to outlaws, and so I started drawing, I believe, the kid and and all that kind of stuff to to show to her, and she would critique them and say, you know, that horse's uh, back legs too short and that kind of stuff. That my mom's side of the family are all cowboys, so I, I got a lot of critiques on on the the cattle and the the horses and the the correct anatomy so uh i began to uh really start to take that serious and wanted to tell stories through drawing and uh technically i'm really probably more a cartoonist than anything because that was my first love and i i loved it tracy and flat top and i loved the fact that he drove a car and had a frying pan in the back seat and could make eggs and I, I did I used to love cartoons and I fell in love with zap comics and hog riding fools by S. Clay Wilson and I love our crumb and then I did my own underground uh stint where I did uh honky tonk sue as a comic strip which was sold to Columbia Pictures and uh so I've, I've had a long career now that you mentioned that my work is all throughout uh true west and the the fact of the matter is is that uh everybody wants to use my artwork because it's free and we, we don't have to pay anyone so my good friend charlie waters said hey uh don't buy yourself a job this is when i was considering buying the magazine 
And I did. I didn't take his advice, but I got to tell you, I love it because, hey, it's my magazine. If I want to run Crazy Horse on the cover, I'm going to run Crazy Horse. But when you, when you were, that's going to sound so dumb. When you're not the Bob Bowes Bell that we know, you drew for National Lampoon and Playboy Magazine and others. How did a kid from Kingman end up in National Lampoon and Playboy as an artist? Well, I just spoke to a graduating class at NAU, and I told them that when I was growing up in Kingman, no one came and talked to us. I wanted to be an artist, and I didn't know how, and we were isolated in this town out in the middle of nowhere, and I swore that if I ever figured out how to do anything, I would go talk to young people and tell them what I did to get past the people. I, I, I like to say that there's there's a hundred people at the foot of the ladder to success, and your job is to get around them. And how are you going to get on the ladder? If you wait in line, you'll never get there. So that's kind of my basic theme. And uh, uh, I would have to say that um, I've tried a hundred things and maybe two of them have actually worked. But that's that's the ratio. You know, like, you know, you, like in basketball, they say you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. And I saw some stats on Michael Jordan and it said, and in the crunch time, he's taken like 1,500 shots, and he only made a third of them, but that's still, he's considered, you know, the superhero because he, he made that many. And, uh, but anyway, that, that's uh, the point is that how did I get from Kingman to uh, Playboy magazine? Well, it was a long route, but it was sure fun. When you got into Western history, did it change? Were you always doing Western history art or because be, meaning before you purchased true West magazine, were you dabbling in it? Were you, were you doing it or were you concentrating on the mainstream? Because on your website, and again, I'm going to mention it is Bob Bowes bell art.com on your website is a, a section. And I, I, I didn't write it down and I should have were it's all black and white and it is, so freaking insanely great like the it's period piece and it's it's uh, i don't know what it section it's in but it is so good it's not even and it's not western history were you focusing on that before you got into true west or were you doing western history the whole time because that black and white artwork is fantastic well thank you and uh here's the arc of my career as it evolves the old west history is that when i was 13 and 14 i was head over heels in love with old west history and, and true west magazine was my favorite magazine well then when i got to be 15 16 uh the beatles hit i was in a band uh all of a sudden rock and roll uh, girls uh austin healy's cars uh took over my life and i uh went to college and majored in art and i was uh I would say I was very urbane. I had a comic strip at uh, the U of A, the Arizona Daily Wildcat, called Dick Matrick. So I was always kind of dabbling in uh, ideas and stories and characters. And then it wasn't until 1989, uh, Christmas, when my uh, mother gifted me the saga of Billy the Kid by Walter Noble Burns, and that changed my life. I thought I knew the story. I read the book in one setting. 
I, I put it down and I said, you know, I was born to do this. I love the old West. I always have. I would see True West in the Circle K. You know, we'd be going somewhere and I would go into get something and I would see I would see True West sitting there and it was still being printed on pulp. And I thought as a kind of a graphics person, I, I thought, you know, I could do something with that magazine. And and one day one day I got my wish. That was nineteen ninety nine. And so I jumped in with both feet and that's when I really started to focus on uh old West art. Well I I had I haven't a quote here from John Bosnecker. And I asked John yesterday about you because your cover on uh, his book, I think it was Harry Morris, and the other one was um, Bob Paul, When Law Was in the Holster. And this is what Bob said. Um, he said, Bob's artwork is amazing and extremely accurate to the times. How do you, if a writer or a historian comes to you and says, I'm thinking of a book, or I'm thinking of a script, or I'm thinking of whatever, and and I'm doing it about a person, and they say, I'd love you to do the cover. My gut tells me that nothing is, nothing that you do is just a crapshoot. Is... Is there deep research involved? How does a person, how does a writer go from a, an email or maybe a, a phone call to a publicist or to the magazine? How does it become a piece of art on a book? What is your process? Well, some of the uh, worst situations I've ever been in in my life involved someone wanting me to do a cover for them. And the reason for that is we all have this idea about what a Billy the Kid cover should look like or uh, John Leslie Harden. Um, and, and, of course, the first stop is, well, I want the weapons to be accurate. I don't want them to be wearing any Hollywood uh, style. It's so easy to see when somebody does, you know, I'll see a cover and I'll go, God, that's they obviously poached that from Randolph Scott. You know, <laughs> it's like a, a 40s kind of a, a, a look. So that's anathema. You don't want to get caught there. But uh, it's really, uh, that's why I do my own books, because I, I can agree with myself on, on, you know, what it is I'm trying to portray. And But when the other people are involved, usually writers, it gets really dicey. And it's, it's, it's very difficult. And once again, in the magazine, uh, hey, it's my magazine. I can, I can run it. And so a lot of times... Uh, we need artwork for, uh, in fact, we're working on a, a real women of the wild west book right now. And, uh, we need a lot of coverage because so many of the photos are so, uh, bad. We're doing, as a matter of fact, this morning, I'm doing a painting of Biddy Mason and Biddy Mason is a, an African American woman who, uh, <clears throat> walked on the wagon train from Louisiana to Los Angeles. And became very, uh, uh, you know, a prominent citizen there, uh, from going from a slave to being a, a landowner or a business owner. And, uh, but unfortunately, the picture of her is she looks like a mug shot. She looks terrible, you know, and she's old. And so, uh, my job is to, uh, show her in her prime if I can, make it accurate to the time she's on a wagon train. The wagons better be correct. The dress she's wearing better be correct. Those are the kind of parameters I deal with daily. But do you have to, do you go back into the history books and say, 
like you said, you knew about the photos of her face, but do you go back into the history books and then really research that person? Because I'm going to ask you some Miss Mickey Free questions in a little bit. Like, do you go back into the history books and read to get a feel for it? Or have you, from your years of doing this, already have a pre-picture in your head of, this is what I kind of want to get to. I hope they like it. We'll talk about it later. We'll make some changes, but. Well, let me, let me give an example of, you know, people complain about how awful social media is and, and, uh, oh, the terribleness of, uh, what's happening now in, uh, in the society. But I got to tell you, uh, this has been a treasure trust for me. Uh, here's another, I, I'm working on Poker Alice this morning. And if you, if you're familiar with Poker Alice yes. or you Google, you know, there's a, there's a picture. I'm looking at it right now and she's this old woman with a cigar in her mouth and, uh, she was a legendary woman. Well, I don't, we want to run that photo, obviously, at the end of the story. This is where she ended up. But what would she look like um, in her prime? And so uh, Google is absolutely magnificent for an artist. I mean, it used to be in the old days, I'd have to go down to the library, drive down there, park my car, go inside, go to the uh, reference desk. Uh, where can I find books on poker playing in the old west well go in the arizona room on the second floor and go to the third thing and then you go in there and you get it and you open it up and it wasn't in that book in the bedroom well now if you just put in poker players 1800 in your computer in half a second you've got 300 images to look at and it's just absolutely fantastic and i've got printed out here uh several really cool poker games going and now i've got to get poker alice in there and in her prime, and she's got to be holding the cards. The cards have got to be right. And this is so much fun, I can't tell you. People say, well, isn't that hard? I go, no, work is only work if you'd rather be somewhere else. And I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Well, I'm going to ask you about the, the art in the magazine, because you, what you said about social media is true for both of us. For me, on the blue-collar side of, the, of social media. But you use social media to your advantage by you'll you'll post multiple covers of a soon to be True West magazine and you'll post them all out there and let the readers decide do they do they sway your vote when they say oh I really like this one better than this one or have you and your staff and team of of experts I'm going to say experts um you're, do you already know ahead of time where you're going into the cover, or does the reader really get to pick it? It's uh, a six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. There's been uh, instances where the readers overwhelmingly picked one, and then perhaps we made a decision based on something else. Uh, like, for example, uh, a lot of Crabtree, and we got this really cool image of her, but the person who's right writing the article maybe it's mark boardman or someone there they didn't like it and, da, da, da. and so the, there's a lot of uh, politics that go into it but i have to say that when i post multiple covers on facebook and online it's in, an invaluable tool because you see immediately you know what's working in fact we're uh, we're doing crazy horse on the next cover and i posted four different versions of it and uh daniel my art director, he did a cover that he liked based on the fourth one. But I said to him over the phone the other day, I said, you know, Dan, 
This number two has been shared twice as much as that one. Do you think we should consider that? And so he said, well, let me mock up a cover. And so then we got real, everybody got real excited. And so that's a perfect example of how Facebook instructed us backwards. Well, it worked because I think that's the photo you sent me. Crazy horse number two. Yep. Beautiful photo. In fact, if you guys want to see it, it's actually going to be the cover print to this podcast is crazy horse number two because it is beautiful. My daughter actually preferred the lady, the one in pink. She said that that was gorgeous. She loved it. But, but it, so when you do the, the drawings that, they don't just go to a color print. You you use a scratch board, and the scratch board is where I really like. Like I, Calvin and Hobbes, for example, a cartoon. You mentioned Calvin and Hobbes cartoons. Mort Drucker is another one that I love. Mort Drucker, even though he passed away, I love his work. I love yeah. the scratch board stuff. I love seeing the rough draft with without all the eraser marks and the the digital work that's being done for the color, but the hand to paper. Can you explain your scratch board process? Because I'm intrigued by it. Yes. Well, I was uh, had been accused of doing scratch board uh, in the first part of my career, probably the first 20 years. And in 1995, I was at an end of trail in Corona, California, and we had a booth there to sell artwork in uh, uh, Truist Magazine. And uh, I'm sorry, this is prior to me owning True West. So 1995, we didn't buy it till 1999. So I was there, we were selling my artwork and some of my other books. And a guy came up to the booth and he says to me, I'll bet you get accused of doing scratchboard. And I said, yes, I do. How did you know? And he goes, well, I teach scratchboard at Long Beach State. And I said, well, tell me about it. I don't even know what it is. Tell me about it. And he said, here's what you do. Write this down. Uh, you just you want SD scratch board E S D E E. It's from it's from England. They make it in Britain. It's twenty two dollars a sheet, but you want it because it's the best. And you need to use Pelican ink number fourteen. So I wrote this all down. Drove home from L A. Uh, called up Arizona Art and I said, "Do you have SD scratch board?" And they said, "We have one sheet. No one's ever bought it." And so I said, "Do not sell it. I'm on my way down there." So I went down and bought it, and I just fell in love and uh, with it. And, and essentially, if for people who don't know, it, it, it's uh, clay board bl- uh, black over the top of a whiteboard. It's, it's all black, and then you use knives to scratch away. So it's drawing in reverse. When you when you put a, a knife on the board, you make a line and scratch, and it's white. And you keep doing that till a tone starts to appear on a face or the wall or the line of a horse and uh it's backwards drawing and i just absolutely was born to do it i love it because the scratch board for me and if tell me again if i'm wrong is where the artist's brains and fingertips come together at one point to start a drawing to start a piece of art and I'm fascinated because I've asked you about it before, about whether it's computer generated, because the lines are so precise. Like your lines are so precise that there's triangles that form in the in the drawing. And the drawings are the triangles are so precise. Like there's you don't see 
wavy lines and stuff. I mean, you eventually will see it, but in the original picture of the line, is there, is there a reason that it looks like that? Or is that just, do you start off at the bottom? Do you start off at the eyes? Or how do you, or, you know, back in, I took this art class a long time ago from a, in the back of my um, Boy Scout magazine. It said, you can become an artist. And he said, every drawing starts with a plus, like a plus sign. And that's the part of the face. So if you make a big plus or a long plus or a short plus, you know, in width, then it's either going to be a long face or a, a wide face. Does that hold true? Is that how you start on the scratch board? Uh, not really. Uh, the, the biggest problem is where to start often, which is another reason why you should do gesture drawings or, or loosen up because mm -hmm. if you wait, for inspiration to overtake you to, to start at a given place, you'll never start. So that's part of the reason to do loose drawings to, to open yourself up. But there's an old saw, never start with a face, uh, because it's like a cork in the water. Once you draw the face, then you'll have the body, and it's like it has to connect to the, and it'll be stifling. So you always want to start with the torso. That's just a uh, one of the the rules it's a loose rule that we that we try to use and so i usually try to start somewhere i wouldn't ordinarily start with uh just somewhere that's interesting to me and that doesn't mean anything that's not insurance or anything it's just a method uh to get in there but to answer your question about the uh, diamonds and the uh, uh the the geometric effects that happen in scratchboard it's all it all comes down to uh cross hatching and cross hatching is rarely done anymore. It's an old English, you know, it's an etching, um, a technique. And so, uh, and I actually took a class at uh, U of A. I wish I had taken more. I was just kind of a lark, you know, at the time, but, uh, it served me well later when I actually got into scratch boards. And now I have, uh, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, I must have 10 scratch boards in various uh, stages of, uh, design and, uh, uh, it all comes down to cross-edge. And if you're just joining us, this is Bob Bozbell, and we're talking about his art. And uh, if you're wondering, you can get Bob's art for sale, and you can see his images and what he's working on at bobbozbellart.com, bobbozbellart.com. And you can see his art, and you can purchase it there, and he'll ship it right. He personally won't, but I would assume he, you know, they'll ship it right to their door to your door and you can begin your collection of Bob Bozbell art. When I was talking earlier about the black and white photo or not photos, but the, the period piece, uh, it's going to be under the section of new times and illustrations because it is phenomenal. I just, there's stuff there that I would have never expected Bob to draw and it is so good. So really make sure when you get to the website, look for new times and illustrations. You mentioned one time, and you did it here with us just now, that you're more of a Billy the Kid fan than the Wyatt Earp fan. But that makes me wonder, what is your your go-to? Like, what? who's the person or figure in Western history that you love drawing the most? Is it Billy the Kid, or is it someone else? Well, it's whoever I'm obsessed with at the moment. And uh, uh, I'm kind of through with Billy the Kid. I went, I did the third book, which I recently published last year. And, uh, and man, I've, I've done probably thousands of images of that lad. And so I, it isn't something that I go, gee, I'm going to 
draw today. I think I'll draw my favorite character, Billy the Kid. That's not that isn't how my head works. I'm I'm looking to be uh, challenged, and of course I've got a deadline now on this women's book, and so I've got women coming out my ears. You know, from Lotta Crabtree to Holly Volkman, you know, to Lottie Dino to Poker Alice and um, to Biddy Mason. And so I've got hundreds of uh, women that I'm uh, having fun with. That sounds great, doesn't it? And because uh, hmm. uh, that's that's the project I'm on right now. So it's not really accurate to say I've got a character, but uh, I certainly have a period in history that I love, and that's the the old West period in the 1800s all the way up to the 1950s. You did a piece about Mickey free and, and I asked you in a question because I didn't understand it. And that was the scar and the eye because you, if you look at a Mickey piece, Mickey free Bob Bozbell art, there are things that go into it, the hat, the background, the horse, what he's wearing. There's a style, like you can look at your art and without seeing the name Bose, you can see that that's a, that's a Bob Bose Bell piece. But in the Mickey Free part, you made a point to detail specific things to really make the photo, maybe the word used, make the art pop. Like it was just like, wow. What was the process for Mickey Free? Was it a, an article that was being written? And and why the eye and that scar? Well, the Mickey Free story has long in, um, eluded me, as a matter of fact. And um, uh, the top secret writer, who's technically uh, Paul Andrew Hutton, uh, we were at a dinner in Tinney, New Mexico, and it must have been about 2004, I'm going to say. So, you know, it's uh, almost two decades ago. And uh, we're uh, at a steakhouse, and uh, our IQs are shooting up because we're drinking. And Paul Hutton is across the table from me, and he says, you know, there's like 10, 15 people there. And he says to no one in particular, you know, the one, the one character that needs a, a book about it more than any other is Mickey Free, the captive uh young person who uh, ended up choosing the Apaches and was in the Geronimo Wars and he's never really gotten his due and that just stunned me and I because I, I was kind of dug uh, Mickey Previs. He has some great pictures you know, of him holding a sharps rifle and blanket over his shoulder and his eyes kind of gleaming and how did he get that eye and so uh, Paul and I decided we were going to do a graphic novel of, of the kid and uh, maybe sell it to Hollywood. That was that was our. We we're going to buy a beach house for our wives. That was, <laughs> was that probably killed the deal right there. And uh, so we spent tons of time. We met in uh, Bisbee, Arizona, and stayed at uh, uh, a, a big hotel there, and uh, worked on Mickey Free every day, and, and worked on the story. And, and we ended up publishing a uh, actually twice in True West the story of Mickey Free, but we never got any takers and we never could quite land it. So Mickey Free, to me, is one of those guys who got away. And I, I hope someday somebody uh, takes hold of him. Mean, he really should be uh, a major character uh, in a movie or uh, a, a book. But for some reason, I don't know if it's because he's uh, 
you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, uh, but I dig the cat. When I lost my train of thought, I was thinking I'm, I, I listen to these podcasts and I'm just enamored. I'm listening to the story. I forget that you're there and I got to say something. Um, <laughs> when, when you do your artwork and you're putting it together, you, you use predominant colors. Like I looked at your artwork that didn't involve any characters and it was just open space and you brought out blues and greens and lots of blues because of water and rain and, and on the plains. And yet when I look at your artwork that involves men, women, riding a horse, you use lots of oranges and reds and browns. Are those favorite colors that you use? Because I love them. I love the mix of the orange. And, and I've made comment before that the picture, the person in the picture is phenomenal, but the background makes the person in the picture. Do you yeah, I'm a, big, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, orange and blue uh, because I, I, I think it uh, it's that axis that uh, where the Old West lives, I guess. is the, and, and I'm a big fan of sepia, obviously, because of, uh, old West photography, and I, there's nothing more intriguing to me than a great old uh, tin type, you know, that's been hand colored or whatever. And uh, I just inherited five cases of photographs from a collector back east who uh, didn't want his kids to throw them away, and so he sent them to me. I said, "Are you kidding me?" And he said, "No, if you'll just pay the shipping." And so I paid. I think I paid two hundred thirty dollars just for the shipping, and he shipped me all of these. And so I'm pulling them out, and I'm sitting here looking at them at one of my art desks, and they're just outrageous. And I just love looking at them because of the sepia. And so that's probably a lot of times on the uh, uh, underpainting. Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll do a monochromatic underpainting uh, to start the painting, and I always uh, do that in sepia to emulate uh, the old west photo. Because the orange, like you said, the oranges, I mean, they're so bold. It it just brings out the background. Like you could almost do a background or do a whole thing on that color, which I think you have done, where it just looks amazing. Is there, yeah. is there artwork? What's that? Go ahead. I said I've got a whole container here of patina pieces. That's pieces where I just did the background. Oh. And, uh, and if I ever want to take out a, a background then to apply something with it then they're already there it's, it looks fantastic and if you need somebody to come up to the house because i'm not that far away to go through those four cases of pictures I'll, it's free i'll come up and hang out i won't even look at i won't even look at you sir i'll just look at the ground i'll look at the dog me and uno will hang out we'll go through the pictures okay i may take you up on that i'd say it's a mess and i, I, I need to i need to file them and then what my plan is is to donate them to a Jeremy Rowe or somebody that's a, a collector and they should be kept and uh, preserved obviously uh, but it was it, it's a it's very inspiring to me yeah it's 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 a great story I mean and it's it's trusting I should be honored I would be honored if somebody called me and said I trust you with some of my most prized historical possessions yeah when um 
When you, I'm going to go back to Bob real quick because I'm curious. Do you remember your cover for Bob Bozbell with uh, when Law was in the holster for Bob uh, Bob Paul? Oh yeah. So I'm going to ask you. The cover comes out. I routinely will publish or not publish post pictures about the cover. And I'll say, I went to Bob Paul's house in Tucson, or I went someplace new, and you should read about Bob Paul and John Bosnecker's book. And I get flack, as I'm sure maybe you might have, regarding Bob's gun pointed into the dirt. <laughs> the, the drawing... You've never, gotten, you've never gotten as much flack as I've gotten. Well, can you... Can you what was the decision on that? John and I have kind of briefly spoken about it, but what was the decision on that to point his gun barrel down into the dirt? Because it is a beautiful cover for a book, just fantastic. And then the gun pointed into the dirt. What was the process between you and John in deciding to draw it that way? Well, it was very contentious. I knew it would be. Uh, it's just, it makes people crazy. Uh, you know, nobody in their right mind, would pose uh, with the barrel of their Winchester into the dirt. That is, it is not done, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, but as I told John Bosnecker, I said, I can show you hundreds of photos of lawmen posing in a studio, usually, um, with the barrel down. And as a matter of fact, in the OK Corral fight, one of the witnesses at Hafford's Corner before they... Okay, Corral fight happened, said there were about 200 men gathered at Hafford's Corner waiting for the fight to come off. And over uh, next to the um, Browns Hotel, uh, the marshal was standing outside with a, uh, I believe he had the shotgun, and he had it on uh, the barrel on his toe. And I thought, well, that's, you know, if he did that, they'd be, oh, you can't, they never did that. So I kind of on purpose did that because I knew it would, uh, well, first of all, I knew it would get intention for John's book, uh, because it would be, oh, wait a minute, what's this? You know, you can't, you can't do that. Well, like I said, I, I probably, I've probably got 25 photos I could put my hands on here, uh, that, that show them doing it. And I think it's for a perverse reason. I think that those old guys posed with their barrel down just to be con contrary. And, uh, that's, you know, partially why I get it, but you're absolutely right. I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten heat over that pose, and yet God bless John Bosnecker for backing me on that. Because it is, <laughs> I'll post it, and it, I don't have any, I'm not even the guy that made it, you guys made it, you and John, and I'll post a picture, and then I get lambasted because, oh, you're putting a picture that's that it's historically incorrect. Well, I didn't draw it. I didn't do it. Bob, blame Bob. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. That brings up a great point is that uh, there's another thing that drives uh, these experts crazy is I can show you uh, certainly dozens of photos of Texas Rangers, and they have their knife uh, <laughs> positioned on the same side as their holster. And, uh, but then they say, oh, he just did that. The photographer told him to move it around there. Well, not in 25 photos. I mean, obviously to me, uh, this was obviously a trend and guys were cool 
1878, and there were Texas Rangers, was to wear your knife on the same side of your holster, probably because if you're right-handed, you want your, to be able to grab your knife or grab your uh, pistol with your best hand. That would be my guess. But it drives people crazy. In fact, I I am so tired of the people who say, I, lo- I, love to po- I love to post pictures where I go, well, how come you don't see this in, in a movie? You know, well, because some costume Nazis said on set, they never did that. They never put their rifle barrels down. And, uh, and as you can see, I'm a little bit of a rebel, and that just grinds me. Well, you had mentioned that earlier about you not liking Hollywood and what Hollywood can do to art. So that's just another spot where Hollywood gets involved and creates a lie. Yeah, um, and I, I don't want to be uh, – I, I think Hollywood gets beat up too much. There, there, there's actually some uh, – we did uh, – a cover story several years ago on the 23 most historically correct uh, Westerns. And, uh, and it's a pretty impressive list. I mean, uh, one of them was Arizona, the movie that uh, old Tucson was built for. And I mean, those buildings are absolutely fantastic. They, there's Adobe in there, you know, that's one of the things that I don't like about most of the uh, Hollywood, California Westerns is all those towns are made of wood. Well, that was true. Maybe out on the, uh, in Kansas and Nebraska, but boy, if you're in the Southwest, there better be a lot of Adobe there. Mm-hmm. And you never quite see that in movies. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, and you can go out to towns in Tombstone and, or in Cochise County and see Adobe structures and, uh, see very little wood. Yeah. Yeah. No, Adobe was once, once you got into the Southwest, you know, we're having that, um, Mexico effect of, uh, Adobe was king, you know, and then so if you want to be accurate, uh, there better be a lot of Adobe. Do you do um, art around structures or are you mostly on your drawings a people artist? Well, I love structures and uh, and, and Adobe in particular. Um, and uh, I probably should do more of it because it really sets the environment for the picture is what's going on in the background, but uh, sometimes I'm mo- moving so quickly it's hard to do an entire building, and the the window sashes need to line up, and the door jams and stuff like that. Um, but now that you mention it, I, I've done a lot of Adobe. I, to me, to me, Adobe is the. If you saw my house, you'd you'd know that uh, uh, everything I'm looking at out the back window here is all Adobe. So I'm kind of an Adobe nut. That's okay. It, it fits the area for Cave Creek. And uh, I think what Radcliffe Ridge is where you're close by, so it fits the area um, well. It looks fantastic. At least I think so. Yeah. Do you dabble at all in oils? Or you know, I used to be exclusively in oils, but when I got uh, into the publishing business, and this is really early in the '70s, where we did a humor magazine called Rather Review. Well, all of a sudden, oils were out of the window or out of the picture because. It takes 10 days for the oils to dry and you can't pick it up and photograph it, you know, without, uh, mm-hmm. you know, smearing something. And so I quickly found uh, gouache, which is a kind of an opaque watercolor, which simulates oil but dries quickly. And so I've, I have 10 canvases in the garage still for this idea that I would someday go back to oil, but so far I haven't been able to find a time. Well, I would love to see you have a photo in your in your gallery 
that is the American Indian, and the, and the Indians are racing towards you, you've almost painted yourself in a picture, which is really cool. Like, you painted yourself looking at them coming to you. Uh-huh. Would and it's so wide, like it's it's in the in the, the art would be you know would be down to a twelve by eleven piece of paper sheet of paper, but it's such a wide piece. I would love to see that in oil. It's just so vast, like the whole are the whole party, the whole war party is coming at you. It's just gorgeous. I, I would love to see that on oil. Is there a drawing that you've done? We only got a few minutes left. Is there a drawing that you've done, you've published, maybe it went to a writer, it's on his book or her book, and then you look back at it and you think, oh my God, what did Bob do? I, I want to recall all of it. Have oh, you I have him? that. I have that thought every day. Oh. I, uh, Go ahead. No, I'm, I I was expecting you to say I've only had that once. No, no, I uh, uh, well, there, there's there's a couple of famous examples of uh, artists in the Middle Ages who people would not invite them to their house if they owned their paintings because the, the artist would bring brushes with him and stuff and try to fix pictures that they had on their wall. You know? <laughs> And these were the masters, you know. So I think it's a long tradition of when I, whenever I see a picture uh, published or at somebody's house, especially at somebody's house, you know, I'll be at someone's house and they've got a, a picture that, you know, Wyatt Earp or whatever on the wall. And I and I sit there half the time going, man, I wish I could pull that down and fix that nose. That's driving me crazy. And uh, so uh, to a... Part of the curse of an artist is the work is never done. You can always improve it. And, uh, you know, they, they say in the movie uh, business that the movie wasn't finished and it escaped, you know. <laughs> they, they had to let it go because uh, artists were always trying to improve it. So you do look at your own art because, like, I think it's Johnny Depp had mentioned in an interview. He's like, I never watch my own movies. He's like, once I it's- get that. You know, I totally get that, and it's very, it's very difficult for me to look at my own art because, and I, and I get that in, in terms of uh, a movie because you, what you don't, you don't see um, the story organically. You see what you were doing that day, and the director said, "Hey, try this this weird way," and you and you did that, and they, they left that in the movie, and then that's so it's not enjoyable. I, I totally get that. Well, we're gonna. We have 10 minutes. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Anything new? You got some books coming out? Something we can be super excited over? Well, like I said, we're, um, we're right in the middle of, uh, doing the real women of the wild west. And it's over a hundred women. And I co-wrote this with Jana Bombers back. And I came up with the concept in, uh, 1994. And the original title was wild women of the wild west. And uh, I wrote a timeline and spent several months on all the key uh, things up to women getting the vote in 1920. And I sat on that. And then we bought the magazine. It got pushed back. And finally, I woke up about two years ago and I said, you know, I should. That's a book I should do. But I really can't do that. A guy in 2022 writing a book on women, that ain't going to work. I need to get uh, a female writer on my side and i called up janet bombers back who of course is the most uh, esteemed and credited uh, journalist in the state of arizona and she also writes a column for 
True West on, uh, you know, uh, uh, Old West Saviors. And I said, hey, Jana, do you want to co-write this book? Well, uh, it hasn't been very easy because all of a sudden her disciplines and the way she writes are colliding with mine, the way I do a book. Uh, this was a, a very difficult uh, doing. We're not, we're right in the middle of it. So I can't say, I can't say it's successful yet. However, what we're ending up with is not the book I set out to write, but I was born to write and produce the book that we're going to end up with because it's very visual. Like I said, we're going to be doing Poker Alice, but here's a painting of her as she probably looked in her prime. And then at the end of the book, at the coda, the final word, you'll see where she ended up, how she died, and, and what it means. And so uh, very excited about the book. I've got a crackerjack team. Uh, Daniel Harshberger has been my art director for 50 years. Yeah. We, we, him and I played catch together in Little League. In 1957, and we're still working here. We're still playing catch, okay? I uh, love working with Dan. That's amazing. And Robert Ray's been with me 25 years. He's, he's worked on every book I've ever done. And then Stuart Rosebrook has absolutely um, brought True West into the renaissance phase that it's in now. That's that's Stuart Rosebrook. His dad is Jed, Rose, uh, Jed Rosebrook, who wrote Junior Bonner, uh, the classic uh, rodeo movie about Prescott, Arizona. And Stewart's our editor, and um, who am I leaving out here? I've got uh, Beth Devney's my uh, fact-checker and editor. She's just fantastic. She's always uh, uh, keeping us from stepping in it. And <laughs> Anyway, the book's going to be out. It uh, goes to press in September. It'll be out for this Christmas. And the title, again, is A Real Women of the Wild West. Uh, and, and I originally had Wild Women of the Wild West. But in the interim, from the time that I thought that up in 1994, there's like seven books with that title now. And so I just thought, oh, I can't. That's going to look derivative, look like we're the last ones in. So we changed it to Real Women, and I think it's going to be really, really cool. So look for that. Well, that'll be Christmas, wintertime, 2022. Uh, yep. Of course, uh, 2022, right? Yeah. Okay. And, of course, if you want to find all of Bob's art, you can do so at bobbosebellart.com. Just like it sounds, Bob Bose, B-O-Z-E, Bell, art.com, bobbosebellart.com. Super easy. You can find his prints there for sale as, long, as well as some amazing art that's probably not for sale, but you can see what he's doing. And really, you know, put the bookmark it on your, on your tablet or your computer because you're going to want to go back because honestly, he does update it. I, I was looking at some stuff thinking he's just, it's old and it hasn't been updated, but he puts dates down and uh, it's really fantastic stuff. If you want to see Bob's art on a continual basis, right at your door, then become a subscriber to True West Magazine and you can do so at truewestmagazine.com. It's really not an expensive subscription and it comes to my, and I can't wait. Like my wife will actually text me and she'll say, Oh, you got your true West today. And Oh God, I can't wait to get home. Um, that's actually a true story. That's a true hey, story. I, gave, I, I need to give a shout out to Christy Jacobs. She's my curator and she there runs bobbosbell.art. And so you get the magazine because you can see Bob's art there on a continual basis, as well as amazing articles and features and Marshall Trimble. And uh, you get an interview in the back. In fact, one of the people that was recently interviewed, Sam Dolan, 
that was in the magazine. We're interviewing Sam Dolan in June of 2022, and he's going to be coming up for an interview and a podcast to talk about things that he's got going on. And so there's just a ton of stuff going on. Also, I want to thank the folks over at the Wild West History Association at Wild West History. Again, wildwesthistory.org. We want you to join that and subscribe and become a member and get the journal because you're going to love it. And then lastly, both of us, uh, more so for uh, for Bob because he's known Mark way longer than I have. But Mark Boardman, I cherish because if it wasn't for Mark, Mark really helped me get the podcast series going with Western history by saying yes to a guy he didn't know. And uh, I can't thank him enough. He's over at the Tombstone Epitaph at tombstoneepitaph.com. And that is Arizona's longest running newspaper. Um, sir, got a couple of minutes. Are we all good? You got anything else? Are we good? We're good, man. This has been a ton of fun. And it's uh, a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay, guys, until next time, safe travels. And we'll see you soon.